May mercy and grace and peace be yours from God our Father and from his Son, his Son revealed in glory. Amen. Today is a day for music. Reba McIntyre will sing the Star Spangled Banner at about 5.30 this afternoon. Post Malone will render America the Beautiful and Andre Day will offer Let Lift Every Voice and Sing in pregame music. And as Connie reminded me yesterday over breakfast, Usher will entertain at halftime. Yes, there's lots of music in Las Vegas for the Super Bowl and lots of music here on this Transfiguration Festival, including 64 Alleluia's sung before the Lenten fast will lead us to the Easter feast. I've decided to use the three Transfiguration hymns we're singing today, which declare the truths of what happens on the mountaintop and the father's call to us. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. May the Holy Spirit give us attentive ears and expectant hearts to rejoice in the good news of our salvation this day. People God dearly loves. Here's where we've seen Jesus from Christmas morning throughout the Epiphany season up to this festival day. We saw the newborn Jesus in the manger, the word made flesh, surrounded by shepherds in silent awe. We saw the 40-day-old Jesus in the temple when proclamation and prophecy from Simeon and Anna greeted him. We saw Jesus back in Bethlehem at the house when Magi bowed down and offered gifts to the king. We saw Jesus in the Jordan River and saw the spirit as a hovering dove and heard the affirming shout of the father's voice. We saw Jesus up in Galilee where Philip found Nathanael because he wanted him to find the Messiah. We saw Jesus by the Sea of Galilee, calling four fishermen to fish for men. We saw Jesus at a synagogue in Capernaum, casting out a demonic spirit and asserting his authority. We saw Jesus at the house of Simon Peter's mother-in-law and saw our Lord healing and preaching all across Galilee. We didn't see the event But it's recorded in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, about an event at Caesarea Philippi. This happened six days later, after that critical conversation and the clear confession. Jesus climbs a high mountain, leading Peter and James and John hiking up toward the summit. Mark doesn't tell us if and how Jesus told them why this was happening, but they climb. They don't know what to expect. But Jesus on the mountain peak is a stunning and spectacular event. The three disciples see Jesus in a way they've never seen him before. His appearance is transfigured and his clothes are radiant, shining more brightly than Clorox liquid max strength could ever bleach them. Just as dramatically, Jesus has guests. Elijah stands on one side of him and Moses on the other side. 
and they converse about, we'll let Luke help us here, he writes that the three were talking about Jesus' departure, his exodus. That's our Lord's salvation-bringing journey that will free us from our slavery. I'll remind you that Elijah and Moses had climbed a mountain before. They had climbed the same mountain. Sometimes the scripture calls it Sinai. Sometimes it's called Mount Horeb. It was on that mountain that God first summoned Moses to go back to Egypt and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Later, after they had come out of Egypt, God spoke the covenant word to Moses with smoke and lightning and fire and earthquake covering the mountain. Elijah's story is different. He runs to Horeb in fear and hides in a cave after the confrontation on the Carmel Ridge. But God calls Elijah, not in a great wind, not in an earthquake, not through fire, but in a low whisper with a still, small voice and commissions him to continue his prophetic role. The three disciples know these stories. But because of the surprise of the transfiguration, Peter suddenly exclaims, Rabbi, teacher, let's stay here. Let's pitch some tents and extend this glorious moment. We'll find something, won't we, James and John? Uh, we'll, we'll put one up for you, Jesus, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Mark's comment in verse 6, that they were terrified and stunned and didn't know what to say, seems to be supporting evidence that Mark's gospel is Simon Peter's story. I can imagine Peter saying to John Mark 20 years later, I didn't know what to say, but I had to say something. My buddies and I were so terrified. Then comes the cloud. It envelops them. It overshadows them. And in the silence, a voice booms. God the Father announces, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Sometime around 9 o'clock tonight, the Super Bowl will end. The Chiefs will win, I hope, or the 49ers will win, and that would make Troy happy. Gatorade might be dumped on Andy Reid or on Kyle Shanahan. A shower of confetti will fall from the rafters of the Allegiant Stadium, and the Pete Rosell Trophy will be given to the MVP. To be honest, all that hoop and hypla can't be over too soon for me. The glorious... Transfiguration is also over too soon, too quickly, too suddenly. As we sang five minutes ago, swiftly past the clouds of glory. Heaven's voice, the dazzling light. Moses and Elijah vanish. God, Christ alone commands the height. Peter, James, and John fall silent, turning from the sumpets rise, toward, downward toward the shadowed valley where their Lord has fixed his eyes. Jesus has been revealed in a new way, in a greater way. His person, his role, his mission are greater than Moses, who led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. 
to freedom in the promised land. His role, his person, his mission are greater than Elijah's, who was faithful in his prophetic proclamation, even when outnumbered by the false prophets of Baal, even when threatened by idolatrous Queen Jezebel, even in his retreat to the cave on Mount Horeb. And Jesus is revealed in this new and greater way as a prelude to his focused journey. A few moments ago, I mentioned the clear confession at Caesarea Philippi. But that's not all that happened here. After Peter declared, you are the Christ, Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He said this plainly. This is why I moved the second hymn that we sang today and put it in the third place. Tis good, Lord, to be here is a paraphrase of Peter's desire to stay on the mountain at the summit. And I think it's our longing, too. No, we weren't on a mountain peak in northern Galilee, blinded by the brilliant attire of Jesus. We didn't see Moses and Elijah. We didn't hear Peter's brazen request. We weren't covered by a cloud. We weren't silenced by a voice. But here we are, here on another Sunday morning, here on this hill, not a high mountain, in San Antonio. And it is good to be here. Because the words of the transfiguration story are true for us. Suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. We see Jesus only. We see our Lord who sets his face toward Jerusalem, who takes us down the mountain with him because he must climb another mountain, a barren, rocky hill called Golgotha. He must climb that mountain for those whose faces don't shine, but whose faces will soon be marked with black smudges of ashes, a sign of guilt and of death. But today... And every Sunday, we see Jesus only, crucified to pay for our sins and raised to win for us life, glorious life that will never end. We see Jesus only, the victor, the champion who wins the battle for us. We see Jesus only who washes us at the font and who feeds us at the altar. And we listen to Jesus only, for he is the one who only speaks the only truth of salvation. He is, he says to us, I am the way and the truth and the life. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.